Leadership draws criticism, most of which comes from people who have never led. They don't see what you see from the leader's vantage point, nor do they understand the pressures you face. They don't know that every yes means saying no to something else. Welcome to Life and Leadership with Kim Williams. I'm the CEO of Interfaith Family Services, a nonprofit that provides housing, help, and hope for families facing homelessness. I'm also the principal of Kim Williams Consulting, a change management firm that empowers nonprofits to change for the better. And I'm the author of Diary of an Insecure CEO, How I Went from Feeling Rejected to Raising Millions. I've led through a variety of organizational issues while raising over $50 million to fight poverty and learning a lot in the process. I created this podcast to share those lessons and help you to successfully navigate life and leadership. So let's get started. Hello, leaders. I hope your day is going well. Can you believe it's already February? I can't. The older I get, the days seem to go by so much faster. Well, since February is Black History Month, the month that we honor Black leaders and Black excellence, and it's also the month that we celebrate Valentine's Day, I thought this month's theme should be loving leadership, loving life. Those of us who have accepted the call of leadership are well acquainted with its stressors, but far too many of us have a hard time embracing its benefits and rewards. Failure to do so often results in a lack of balance and burnout. So this month, I want to renew our love for leadership and the life it affords through four podcasts that remind you how to enjoy the journey as much as possible. All right. So in today's podcast, I want to talk about reclaiming your reputation. If you're not careful, others will build your brand from their opinions and the assumptions of who you are based on what you've been through and what others say about you. Often this comes with negative opinions that we spend far too much time trying to disprove. But I found my power in embracing and rebranding those opinions. Let me begin with a little leadership story. When I became the CEO of Interfaith, I was so excited. Previously, I'd spent seven years of my career helping adults overcome poverty through the welfare to work programs of the 90s. Then I spent the next eight years or so helping girls break the cycle of poverty through Girl Scout programs that were designed to empower girls from low-income communities. What excited me about the CEO role at Interfaith was that Interfaith Family Services had the ability to holistically and simultaneously lift entire families, both the parent and the child, out of poverty. It was like the culmination of 15 years of my previous work. As a young nonprofit employee, I often felt overlooked and underpaid. And as a Black female nonprofit employee, I also felt like my insight and initiative was being happily used, but my contributions were not often publicly valued or economically valued. So as a new 38-year-old CEO, I had big ideas and big plans for leading the agency in a way that was effective, impactful, and inclusive. 
But soon I learned that my plans and the realities of inheriting a 25-year-old organization didn't really align initially. My organization had a great legacy, but the current realities included a change-resistant staff that was upset that I was hired over an internal candidate, strained resources after a period of exponential growth, and a significant budget deficit. These realities caused me to quickly shift my focus from slowly building the culture I wanted to addressing the crisis at hand. Looking back, I realized I made several mistakes when dealing with the change-resistant staff. Circumstances and inexperience didn't allow me to be as patient as I would have liked to be. I didn't understand the effects of having a new, young, data-driven, technology-oriented, fast-talking, direct-speaking CEO would have on a slower-moving, feelings-oriented, data-averse, church-like culture. Looking back, I can see how it was a recipe for disaster. But with that being said, I started out that position by casting a vision And I also gave lots and lots of training for employees. I also increased the pay of low-wage employees to reflect my desire to provide a living wage for our clients. And then I gave our team one year to embrace the new vision, the new goals, and complete the training, particularly technology and data training, and get on board with our new vision. While I faced some resistance the first year, it was nothing like the all-out mutiny that I faced when I added performance metrics, an annual employee evaluation, and I increased employee accountability in the second year. My once optimistic staff quickly turned into disgruntled employees. Then the board complaints began. I was called a pushy, aggressive CEO with unrealistic expectations that did not align with the grace-giving culture of a faith-based organization. After putting so much work in and working so many hours to address the deficit, strengthen the organization, and improve our outcomes, I was both hurt and devastated to learn that a third of my staff went to the board in an attempt to get me fired. But thankfully, my understanding board appreciated my efforts and saw the results and supported me in the presence of my staff, but they advised me privately to focus on improving our culture the same way I improved our results. I heard them, and I began to change the type of leader that I was based on their feedback. But soon I realized that doing so, changing who I was, created a conflict. My high standards was the reason that we had significantly improved our outcomes and increased our reserves and balanced our budget in just two years. My quote-unquote pushy personality was the thing that caused change-resistant staff to try new things and reluctant donors to catch the vision and invest in our work. My quote-unquote aggressive personality was the thing that caused me to refuse to back down when it got hard and to keep going when things got tough. I worked well past the place that other leaders would quit. I wasn't afraid to be confrontational and say what needed to be said in situations where other leaders would have backed down. I was willing to take calculated risks to improve expand and grow in situations where other leaders may have opted for safety. 
the things that some people disliked were the very things that was creating a lot of the success that was benefiting everyone. So when I tried to change my personality and change my style, it began to change those results. Then God revealed to me that I didn't need to change my personality. I needed to rebrand and embrace it. I needed to be strategic on how and when I asserted myself, and I needed to incorporate more softness, appreciation, and conversation when things slowed down and we weren't in crisis mode. I needed to be more careful with my words, yes, but I did not need to change who I was. I needed instead to redefine and refine it. Doing so freed me and allowed me to grow and flow in a way that exponentially improved our organization and advanced my career. So do you want to talk about how I did that? Let's do it. Let's talk strategy. So how do you redefine and refine your identity in order to reclaim it? Let's talk about it. Well, there are really three steps that I took to redefine and refine my leadership identity. And I'm going to walk you through those three steps right now. Step number one, get clear on your objectives. Before you change how you do a thing, it's important that you get clear on your goals and the vision. For me, my goal was to transform the organization It's what I was hired to do, and it was what I was doing. And what I realized, if my goal was to transform the organization, change is disruptive. So the idea that I was somehow supposed to be able to transform without disrupting was kind of ridiculous. The problem was that I didn't take into account the cost of transformation. And as a result, I wasn't able to communicate that cost or prepare my team or my board to pay it. I've since learned that before we establish and adopt a goal, I have to ask myself, my leadership team, and my board if we are all prepared to pay that cost. From there, we establish a plan to mitigate the risk while accepting the fact that should challenges occur, we're all on the same page with how to address them. This way, when things start happening that are highly predictable, it's less unsettling for everybody involved. So step one is get clear on your objectives. What are you there to do? And then ask yourself to do this. What is the likely cost? Step two, get clear on the tools in your toolkit. Listen, 10 different leaders can use 10 different ways to achieve the same results. While certain principles apply to all leaders, strategy could differ based on the leader's strength and their team's talents. The problem with trying to be like someone else is that you don't have their strengths or their unique support system. That's why it's important to familiarize yourself with the tools in your toolkit. As you become intimately acquainted with your strengths, you'll get to know what you do well and what you don't. You'll also learn what kind of team you need to build around you. Your team should both complement your strengths and compensate for your weaknesses. So I'm a really direct person. I'm not disrespectful, but I don't really sugarcoat things, particularly in high stress and challenging situations. 
Therefore, I learned that I have to have a team around me that's not super sensitive and that takes criticism like mature adults. I also have to have a team that's competent in their area of expertise, that's very organized because I am, and has the ability to function well in a fast-paced environment. I need a team that can quickly pivot when things are necessary and that will disagree courageously but respectfully with me. I need a team that takes responsibility and that tells the truth. People-pleasing, everything is fine when it's not, indecisive type of personalities will not last long on my team. It's also important that my team has complementary skills that I don't have, like lots of patience, especially when it comes with working with their teams. It's important that my teams have high levels of empathy and a social bandwidth for interacting with people that last more than two to four hours, which is typically my max. I like to hire people who can do more in areas where I struggle. And so knowing that about myself, knowing what I do well, what I don't do well, knowing the type of personality that works best with me while also being able to add elements that I don't have has really, really empowered me to be more successful as a leader. But you can't make those type of hires if you don't know yourself well and you don't know what you need. So become incredibly familiar with the tools that you have in your toolkit so you can bring others along that will complement them. Step number three, do not allow others to define you. Leaders are often misunderstood. People don't understand that we were hired for our ability to do what others will not do, to say what others will not say, and go further than most would want to go. We were hired to solve problems, not present them, or complain about them. We were hired to cast a vision and set a course, not to remain stagnant or be okay with the status quo. That alone causes us to have a skill set that most people don't have, and therefore most people misunderstand and misread. So here's an example of what I mean. To some, I may seem pushy, but I'm not pushy. I'm persistent. So I've had to redefine myself and say, I'm not pushy, I'm persistent. I don't settle for the first no. I don't stop at the first roadblock. I look for alternative routes. I ask questions. I solve problems. I find solutions that allow me to keep going where others would quit. I am not pushy. I'm persistent. To some, I may seem aggressive, but I'm not aggressive. I'm assertive. I won't allow others to mistreat me or disrespect me or my family or my team or my clients for that matter. I will speak up and say what needs to be said. And now as I've matured and become wiser over the years, I do that only when necessary and only when I think it would make a difference. For example, I don't argue with people whose opinions don't affect me or the outcome. I don't try to convince people who are not invested in my work or affected by it that my strategy is right. If they aren't invested in the work, they don't get a say on how the resources will be utilized. If they aren't affected by the work, they don't get a say in how we do a thing. But when an investor or client says or does something that could negatively impact our ability to reach our goals, then I speak up. I do so respectfully, but with little hesitation. So again, I'm not aggressive, I'm assertive. And so here's a final example of how to redefine your identity. Some say that my goals are unrealistic. 
but I say I have high standards. I don't apologize for my high standards because before I require them of others, I know that they're possible because I've done them myself. I map out a plan, I create policies to make those standards easy to understand and achieve, assuming that my team members are willing to follow them. I can't tell you how many people I've seen agree to the standard, get trained on the system, and then decide that they know better and attempt to accomplish the goal another way. I've literally told people, first do this, then do that, and then do this. Here's a checklist. And then watch them take that checklist and do something completely different, only to find at the end that I get this work product that isn't what I asked for simply because the steps weren't followed. I've learned that the fact that a person refuses to follow directions doesn't make me unrealistic. It just makes them insubordinate. With that being said, as I've matured and grown wiser, I understand that there's a difference between the occasional mistake, which everyone makes, including me, and reoccurring issues with the same work product. I need to have grace for the occasional mistake because no one is perfect. Besides, a good employee is going to feel bad enough when they mess up. They don't need any help from me in that area. So grace goes a long way with good employees. So again, I've learned that my standards are not unrealistic. They're high, but I give a plan and a pathway to get there. The person just has to follow them. So I don't apologize for having high standards. Those are just three examples of how to reclaim your identity. Maybe you're not called pushy or aggressive or uh, have unrealistic expectations, but whatever you're called that bothers you, take a stab at redefining it because often it's not really you. It's just how certain people, a few people uh, mischaracterize you. And once you understand that, it really helps to redefine it and embrace it and move forward. All right. So as I wrap up, I just want to tell you, once you reclaim your identity as a leader and redefine what it means to be you, you can refine your approach to maximize the good and minimize misunderstandings. Just like in my last example about reclaiming high standards, I was able to redefine how I apply them and redefine how I deal with those who fall short. When it's a repeated offender, I don't take it personally. I simply understand that they do not have the ability or willingness to follow the plan. But when it's an occasional offender who is high performing generally, I offer them grace with guidance on how to avoid that same mistake in the future. As this year gets underway, I want to encourage you to reclaim your identity as a leader. Don't allow others to define you. You can't fight your Goliath wearing someone else's armor. Before we end today's podcast, let me offer you this final word of encouragement. Leadership draws criticism, most of which comes from people who have never led. They don't see what you see from the leader's vantage point, nor do they understand the pressures you face. They don't know that every yes means saying no to something else. They don't understand that every goal has its own risk and challenges. They don't know that you're up when they're asleep and that you're working when they're resting. They don't accept that leaders are people with feelings, faults, bad days, and breakdowns. 
When we express the discomfort of leadership, they're quick to say, to whom much is given, much is required. But unless they've paid the cost of being the boss themselves, that truth feels like criticism when what we need is compassion. I get it. I know all of this all too well. But what I can tell you is that relief comes when you embrace who you are and stop trying to explain it to others. Relief comes when you can reclaim your identity and walk in authenticity unapologetically. Relief comes when you realize that you aren't for everybody, and that's okay. God didn't call you to be. Your goal is to lead your tribe and your tribe only. Let the critics criticize you, but keep going. God is only holding you accountable for what he called you to do. Get clear on your calling and become an expert on the tools he gave you to use. Only take advice from those who have been where you're going and only seek comfort from kind souls who understand the weight of the role you've been given. All else is just background noise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone who is listening today. I thank you for the opportunity to lead. I thank you for the opportunity to cast a vision that comes from you. And I thank you for the strength to keep going. Father, I pray for every leader that may feel overwhelmed. I pray for every leader who may feel discouraged because they're so misunderstood. I pray for every leader who is questioning their calling. I pray that you would give them clarity. I pray that you would send others to lift them up and give them the support they need. But I pray most of all that they will find that support, that clarity, that understanding with you. And I thank you, Father God, for the ability to rest in you, to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And I thank you for hearing and answering this prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's tips can be found on my website, kimwconsulting.com. Just click the resource tab in the menu. You can also find information about my consulting services and upcoming events and subscribe to my monthly life and leadership newsletter. If you have any questions that you want me to answer on my podcast, message me on Instagram at lead with Kim. If you found this podcast helpful, please share, rate and subscribe. Thank you for listening. And remember, change is inevitable, but changing for the better isn't change wisely. Thank you.